Hola, hello, welcome to From Another Zero. This is the first pod view of the season. Very happy to be doing one of these again. If you are not familiar, in order to be more democratic with these ever-changing times and inclusive times, which is what we strive for here in this safe space, we call our point of view just of you. So if we're doing it on the blog, it's a vlog view versus a review. If we're doing it here on the podcast, it's a pod view. So last season, we did a couple of those with a very good response. You guys like those. I'm going to do a few for this episode. It's everything that we've seen so far that it's still available and running in the different theaters and also online and a podcast one. Since I started, I told you the last episode that I'm the newest member of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. Very happy in seeing a lot more <laughs> than what I used to see. So yeah, we're putting everything in the blog and we are also including it in our social media and the Theater Critics Facebook page and of course on here. Well, let's get started. This is from Another Zero. Here we go. Here, we just don't start from zero. Plan how this, how we think this new normal is going to be. You know, so that's the, that's the next zero. You know, like how we're dealing with this thing that looks like it has, you know, no ending. It's a complete start over. And there is something invigorating and exciting. Um, almost, it's like you said, it's almost like you're wiping the slate clean and starting over, but you're not because mm -hmm. you're coming with all of your tools. The zero thing. I love the zero thing because it's truly energy. It's all there. From Another Zero is a podcast dedicated to the arts and the entertainment industry. Welcome to our safe space and welcome to this episode. I am Alejandra Enciso Dardashti. Here we go. Today, it's just you and me, kiddo. This is me sharing everything that I've seen so far and the blog views that I've had fun writing and sharing with you all. I'm going to start with the shows that are closing first. For time's sakes, I think that is the best order. So starting with the Old Globe Theater in beautiful Balboa Park in San Diego. This one is a commissioned piece, world premiere musical. It's The Gardens of Anuncia. It's choreographed and directed by Broadway dancer and choreographer Graciela Daniel. The musical is by her longtime friend, Michael John Lacusa. And this is about... Gracie's upbringing in Argentina amid the Perón dictatorship. The plot involves the women in her life, the women that raised her. And it's her grandmother, Grandmama Magdalena, played by actress Marie Testa, her aunt Lucia, played by Andrea Burns, and her mom, Carmen, played by Eden Espinosa. Uh, Graciela Daniel's figure in this piece is Anuncia, and it's played simultaneously by a young Anuncia, which is Kaylin West, and an adult, older Anuncia, that is Carmen Roman, which is kind of like in present times. It's 
It's glassy in present times. The set is kind of like a bionic settings. It has long strings with orchid-like looking flowers that hang from the ceiling because Anansia is narrating her life journey to the audience and it takes place in her garden. So being that there are flashbacks and memories and all these things, I think that that is what Mark Wenland, responsible at the set design, I think he created this like multi-dimensional atmosphere to complement these flashbacks. The lighting design is also a huge component. It's by Jules Fisher and Peggy Eisenhower. And it's kind of with purples and whites and greens, these tones that accentuate key moments that is for example, you know, you're in Argentina, so there's a tango sequence, obviously goodbyes, arrests during that Perón era that was complicated, <laughs> to say the least. And Rubin and Rubiano are, or Ruben and Rubiano, <laughs> they're responsible for the casting, and I think that it was impeccable. These are some potent voices, like all female cast members are amazing, but... As with all premieres and new musicals, there is room for improvement. Andrea Burns, I mean, we saw her in In the Heights and oh my God. I mean, I remember her from In the Heights and here she just showcases her vocal abilities in a more mature, impressive way for this piece. There is a song that's called The Annunciation, even though it's a harmonization, like there's no music, it's just the voices and it's between Testa, Burns and Eden Espinosa, the last two, Andrea and Eden, oh my God, they bring it to such a level. The rest of the songs I feel need tweaking. There's another song, Malagueña. It's only performed by Eden Espinosa and it's strong, powerful as Eden is known for. But Malagueña is something that's very significant in the Hispanic world. It comes from the south of Spain and it involves a specific way of dancing and singing accompanied by guitars. So the cultural meaning like this and in an Argentinian setting, I think the song lacked a little bit of climatic structure. I think it needed a little bit more of like an oomph. For me, two great and pleasant surprises are Kaylin West as younger Anuncia and Tally Sessions. He plays various roles. Literally one of them is a deer in headlights. A deer, a deer in headlights. You are seeing a deer on stage. And he only has like a headband with kind of like deer ears that are made out of like tree bark. His comedic abilities and just his portrayal is wonderful. He does a song called Dance While You Can along with Carmen Roman, gifting the audience with a very pleasant and moving dance sequence. Again, Kaylin as younger Anuncia is a triple threat. She's precise, she has comedic delivery, and very delicate dancing and rounding it out with a melodic, potent voice. This is, I feel, I feel the Garden of Anuncia is like a farewell letter from Graciela, making peace with her career, her upbringing, and her life. Proves that she's a star, right? Like one of her dearest and closest friends decided to create a full-on musical production of her life. <laughs> so that means that you made it, I feel, right? I think that focusing it on her family, how she left Argentina during those dangerous times, moved to Europe and then moved to the U.S. and became this amazing choreographer for Broadway and everything else that came is way better than focusing it on her dance career. 
people who are not aware of who Graciela Daniel is or her career, then they have a chance with this musical. And this will definitely resonate differently with each person depending on the stage in life that they are in. If you are younger, it might not resonate as much as when you are like older or middle-aged. It hits different because it is about being born, living, and passing. I mean, there's there's no denying that. Uh, the Gardens of Anuncia is playing until this Sunday, October 17th. It is around two hours, no intermission. There are no intermissions happening right now in theater because of COVID. And yes, you require proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test to enter the theater. So if you want to check it out, I encourage you to do so. Check it out. Go to their website, theoldglobe.org. This is the Gardens of Anuncia. Next up, a lot of garden-themed season openers <laughs> are taking place. This one is La Jolla Playhouse's The Garden. This is also a commissioned world premiere. It is with two actresses. Charlene Woodard is the playwright and also plays the role of Cassandra. This is a mother, daughter, older mom, a middle-aged daughter. The mom is Claire Rose, played by Stephanie Berry. They have not seen each other in three years, and Claire Rose is an intense, superb gardener, and she has this dream of a garden in her backyard that has the, the, the whole thing, the tools, the running water, the greenhouse, the little greenhouse, like everything, everything, everything. And Cassandra just pops in one day in a tracksuit <laughs> and starts talking to her mother. So obviously a heated dialogue takes place about he said, she said, why didn't you call me? And you prefer my sister or things that happen with families, families all most of us have one, right? The the thing that I was amazed that it blew me away was the set design of the garden. It is a full functioning, or it seemed like it is full functioning. It does have running water. They do dig up veggies like from the ground. There's dirt. You can hear and almost like smell the dirt, right? And the actresses move around, they use the space and they talk to the audience. The first rows are at the same level as the stage. So the actresses are pretty close and they talk to the audience and you can hear like that almost a melody. It creates this compliment. The steps on the dirt complement the dialogue. You hear like, I mean, I can't make the the noise, but the noise of the steps on the dirt, I know I'm sounding one track mind, but it's really so, such a big deal <laughs> for the performance. It was for me, at least. This piece is co-directed by Delicia Turner Sonnenberg and Patricia McGregor. This is precise and organic because it's also like a dance. The actresses move, move around, move around, move around the stage, and it's kind of like a circle, but it looks like a dance. It's really, really cool. I would have loved to be in that rehearsal space and pay attention to the decision-making between Delicia and Patricia guiding the actresses to deliver this piece. The set design is by Tony Award winner Rachel Hawk. It is just so impressive 
I can get over it. I think that's the start of the play. It has everything, and it's also fall has started within the story. So there's trees with orange and brown leaves that they're like popping. Charlene is an experienced actor, and her voice and modulation is so precise and on point. The only thing I feel is I was confused with the double dipping writing it and being in it that kind of created a little bit of noise in my brain although i do understand i understand why but at the same time because she's so tied to and with the script i felt that her delivery at times was a bit overdone that is my perception but again i do get why she wanted to do this and tell this story because it's two older black women sharing it from a necessary perspective. And that is also, as an audience member, refreshing. And I can also relate to that. Not just touches upon a mother-daughter relationship. It also points out the differences and disagreements in a generational gap. And there are many layers that are unpacked throughout the performance. The gap that I mentioned marked by the obvious age difference and at times is too marked by race and the experience of racism and the pain that comes from that. So it's a very, very powerful, pertinent story. We all were gasping, right, and tight in our seats and jaw-dropping surprises that you're going to be like, oh my God, what just happened? So I think this is a perfect season opener and it's not for the weak. <laughs> Feelings will be turned in a shocking and unexpected way. Also, a thousand free tickets will be offered to educators and healthcare workers over the course of the run. I don't know if there's still tickets left, but they were offered in honor of the late Dr. Lawrence Friedman, La Jolla Playhouse trustee and UC San Diego professor and renowned local physician. So you can check that out on their website, lajoyaplayhouse.org. And the garden is playing until October 17th. Head over there. I recommend it. We need these stories and this is great. Oh, and they're doing construction. If you're a San Diego local, and even if you're not, I mean, if you're going to the theater to see the garden, take your necessary precautions because there's a bunch of construction happening around the venue. Parking area is no longer there. <laughs> they're doing a big, cool building that's dedicated also to the arts. So they have a shuttle but you have to you know, go around and park in the building and then wait for the shuttle and the shuttle takes you to the theater. Da, da, da. That's an activity that's going to take time. So plan accordingly. Proof of vaccination is required and having your mask on during the performance. It's like around 90 minutes with no intermission. Next one in the mix, it's with my girls at Moxie Theater all season openers. This is the Manola Twins by Paula Vogel. It is playing until October 24th. The Manola Twins are two women in Mineola. Mineola. My accent is getting the best of me. The Mineola Twins, Mineola, Long Island, and Samantha Place, both twins, Myrna and Myra. And she just brings the house down. I mean, it is so, so good. The play happened in the late 80s, and it's a story that takes place in the 50s and goes way all the way to the Bush administration. And the twins, they're complete opposite. Myra is a pants-wearing rebel, all for women's rights and living in 
the now. Myrna is like uh, more conservative and her dream is to be the best homemaker, you know, get married and be the best homemaker. Obviously does not wear pants. <laughs> She's very conservative by the book. She works in a diner, just like your average 50s sitcom-y white teenager. And she is engaged to Jim, who is portrayed by Emily Jerez. Jim is also like a traditional macho, you know, 50s American young man. And there's a phrase in the play that just makes your head turn. That there's a difference between men and women and that the men are recognized by their actions while women do not do anything because they just are. Reiko Huffman is responsible for the set design. It's simple yet very aesthetic and enhances the story well. I pay attention to weird details and in this set design there are these gorgeous red like leather diner stools and I just fell in love with them because Samantha plays along with that like prop well using the stool to go up and down and jump back and forth and it's just her comedic ability and everything she's aware of the audience aware of the set her co-actors and it's great and going back and forth and all the changes and wig changes and wardrobe changes everything i think it's really good this is directed by artistic director jennifer eve thorne and each of the directors always has their own style and way of landing a piece on stage jennifer has attention to detail and i feel that this eases onto the actors and it gives them freedom with instruction right to deliver the castmates a really good ensemble along with the production team this is definitely a team effort it also reminds me i know i do the dance analogies but it reminds me of like a ballet piece where the dancers take care of each other on stage and doing like some lifts and spins <laughs> trying to the best so no one falls well, with the miniola twins it would seem that most of the scenic weight is on samantha playing both roles but it is the other cast members as I mentioned, Emily Jerez, and then Philip Magan and Desiree Clark that provide the space for Samantha to go off high. I mean, Paula Vogel, right? Uh, Philip Magan is also in a double role and he plays both sons of the twins. He is Kenny and Ben in different decades because they're kind of like 10 years-ish apart. I think he's very funny and sweet at the same time. Desiree Clark is an up-and-coming actor here in San Diego. I want to see more of Desiree because she plays different roles in this piece but also Myra's wife Sarah and we have an array of interpretive colors in her delivery and I wish she had like more lines because She's great. Emily is also really good. I think that she is able to take more risks because she is definitely talented. And also with this piece, the dialogue that is used referring to women during the 50s is still so present today. And it is shocking and, of course, appalling. I always recognize the power that theater has to go beyond entertainment at times and make people think, well, this is one of those pieces where within all the laughter and the enjoyment, you have to stop and think, are we as a society going backwards or just like 
want, wish, right, to move forward. This is one of those you're going to have fun, but it's going to leave you thinking at the same time. I mean, it's a really good comedy. Obviously, I had my mask on, right? I laughed and tears would just roll down, roll down. The mask and everything, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with myself. If you're a crier, one that cries when laughing, bring tissues, be prepared for this because it is incredibly funny. It's so good. I cannot recommend it enough. And I think also that Moxie has the best pre-show recorded speeches of all theaters. They talk about uh, fatigue with QR codes. They're also taking care of their audiences and reinforcing the mask wearing situation throughout the show, covering your nose and your mouth, all those things. So props to them. Good job. And that is the Maniola Twins by Paula Bogle. Again, playing on until October 24th. We're going to do one more before we go to a brief commercial break and talk about the wonderful platform that is Anchor for your podcasts. But now we're going to go with Diversionary Theater, San Diego's LGBTQ plus theater season opened with one and two by Donja R. Love. This is with three actors, Kevin Lamar, Coleman, Thurwood Murray, and Carter Puget. I apologize. I, it's not my intention to chop your names, yo. And me being Alejandra and my long name, like I, I, I see you. Okay, <laughs> I see you. This is a powerful story and it's also not for the weak as in diversionary style. They usually do these strong uh, stories that make you reflect and take a moment. They open this play, this solid play with a solid space because they're debuting this revamped bedazzled space. They have new and colorful comfy seats. They have this amazing spacious bar that it also has a performance area. They're going to do a cabaret series during the week and it's just, it's shiny, glittery, just gorgeous. The bar is like the bar counter is, is filled with pictures and it's like a mural. Oh no, no, no. I just, I couldn't get enough. It's just such a gorgeous space and I'm so glad that they're going to have it open for people to enjoy and not just for a performance upstairs. You know, you can enjoy the bar and you can enjoy other types of performances during the week as well. So prop to Diversionary and all their donors for making this possible. On to one in two. This play starts interactive with the three actors. They start interacting with the audience. You have to clap and choose which actor is going to play number one, number two, and number three. There are no names. They're just numbers. So depending on that, and that means that the actors are alternating the roles. So obviously, who I saw as one, for example, who was Carter Puget, he's going to be also number two and number three in different performances. It, it starts with them playing three little boys and obviously they're playing they're, they're playing games sharing anecdotes innocently how innocent kids are right and 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 the trust that they have apparently unrelated scenes follow and we see flashes of diverse paths lives and then a deep two real twist that becomes the thread of the story the playwright donja is screaming between the lines of this piece we're seeing three black men on stage there's a turn ticket dispenser and a counter accentuating the situation of them just being 
numbers, like any other statistic lost in another bunch of numbers, right? So why is there an oversight? Why does this happen and continue to happen? Even though it's kind of between the lines, Donsha also explains it's about culture, systemic issues and accessibility. This is about the HIV epidemic in the 80s, and it's still taking people in the 21st century, but it's black people and Latin American people leading the line amongst other underrepresented groups because I refuse to use the word minority. I hate the word minority. So no, this is an accessibility issue as well as a cultural issue. The three actors were in sync and they delivered powerful, reaction-worthy lines. Uh, there's one that explains that they're talking about the beautiful nuances of the N-word while they're in the scene that they're playing little kids. They say, you are not gay if you don't kiss it. So that also brings a bunch of other stuff that you can think about. And I just enjoyed this very much. It made me comfortably uncomfortable. That's what happened with one and two. And I think that seeing these three beautiful, gorgeous black men on stage delivering these scenes about having AIDS, HIV positive, being black, the situation with trade, how they explain it to you too. And that happens also in the Latin American community, me being Mexican. I, I can relate to that. These are stories that need to be told. And theater is not just for entertainment. Props to Diversionary that they're offering this in their season. And it's also closing on October 24th. And there are different activities and surrounding events until then. So check out their website at diversionary.org. We'll be right back. We have three more. And that is it. The Latino Theater Company in LA. They turned their play Premeditation into a podcast series. And it's an absolute hoot. It's written by Evelina Fernandez. And it's a six episode incarnation. It will leave you all hooked they're, they're releasing a new episode each friday in october premeditation debuted in 2014 and so i think that spinning it into an audio format was an amazing good choice it's a comedy season with a sprinkle of murder <laughs> it involves two middle-aged couples that reflect on married life the old glories and fizzled romance this is directed by latino theater company artistic director jose luis valenzuela and it's a hilarious troupe that stars Fernandez, as I mentioned, alongside Sal Lopez, Jeffrey Rivas, and Lucy Rodriguez. With the dialogues, each character narrates either a description of what is about to happen for context, and the voices just pass through Chris emanating all the emotions, whether it's like anger, nostalgia, or just plain annoyance. Fernandez's writing is great, but also darn accurate in many ways. She includes words and phrases in Spanish and this audio spin and it gives it that Mexican kind of 50s radionovela touch with this Chicano flair and it makes it even greater. I had a lot of fun listening to this series and I don't want to give it away. I don't give stuff away because I want you to experience it for yourself. But I can assure you now that I'm doing audio, right, that Hardly any woman likes to be called a señora, okay? So it's kind of like ma'am, but it's just as bad. Like, it's I don't like ma'am either. The other added value to this is that each episode is between 15 and 18 minutes long. So listeners will go through them like a breeze and be left wanting more, obviously. This was a very smart 
choice. Episode four drops this Friday, October 15th, and then the fifth one on October 22nd, and the last and sixth one on October 29th. Check them all out at latinotheaterco.org slash premeditation. I highly recommend it. I had so much fun. Book of Leaves is a film reading and I'm happy to share with my out-of-town listeners because this is available to everybody. It is streaming and it has been extended until October 24th. This is by Will Cooper and it's about challenging times come and raw intentions and dark feelings surface when there's an illness or a death in a family and I think it's also very relatable. I applaud this effort because when I hear reading or I try to picture a, a staged reading, I imagine, you know, stools and scripts and maybe actors wearing all black or all blue or those kinds of things, right? But here they did a reading and they have wardrobe and they have like kind of like a suit like a one of those backdrops in zoom this is a cabin backdrop because they're in the middle of the woods in the suburbs of i believe is it new york hence book of leaves the title right leaves it's really really good it's about a dad that has two kids a daughter and a son the daughter is married and the husband is kind of like pervy, drunk, uh, has-been jock. <laughs> the son is engaged to this really sweet girl that it gets along pretty well with the father-in-law. So that's practically the gist of it. Justin Lang is the son. His name is Prince. He comes back from the city to take care of his dad. He's experiencing some health issues and his girlfriend Sylvie, who is Maybell Shimizu, is a very simple, sweet woman who has, as I mentioned, great rapport with Walter. Walter is the dad and is, he is played by Tom Stephenson. The daughter is Beth and that is Leigh Aiken. Her husband is Jack, the has been jock is jack <laughs> and played by darwood murray this is like a, a watching a movie you are hooked it's gonna hook you it's just as good or way better than any binge worthy streaming series happening now the other thing that i liked here and it's like the dressing like salad dressing right of this piece is candace crystal shout out to candace she <laughs> plays an ambitious realtor her name is alice and she brings the comedic tones alice has zero reading abilities in the room like she does not re read the room at all and that makes her interpretation fun to watch this is directed by kim strasberger it's very creative and explorative along with michael brookmeyer's videography which also i mean being that it's a streamed piece it complements and rounds out the story it's very imaginative and with a virtual cabin in the woods background and them appearing oh they every time that they, they finish a line they like disappear <laughs> like they there's a transition. I thought that was really cool. It's a universal story about family. I think the majority of us can relate. Again, with an illness or death strikes, you know, emotions and weird actions take place within families. The other thing is like you can comfortably stream it at home with wine snacks, have people over and enjoy it. 
not leave the comfort of your home. Check out the roustabouts.org slash book of leaves and you can see all the information, cast bios and all that fun stuff and purchase your tickets for streaming. Our last show, Lambs Players, they're also back full throttle in the beautiful Coronado or Coronado Island, as the locals call it. It's not an island, but yeah, that's what they call it because it seems like an island. Anyway, their season opener is a one-woman show. It is the Belle of Amherst, and it is about American 19th century poet Emily Dickinson, and it's portrayed by Cynthia Gerber. This is cool because Cynthia waited 30 years to portray this role. She finally got her opportunity and it shows, it shines through the stage. She is vivacious and happy and she delivers all these lines well. She's directed by Robert Smith and it's tough right? It's tough to do a one-person piece that's very wordy. The other thing that I appreciated was the scenic and lighting designs by Mike Buckley. It has like fall trees and like a Victorian-looking living room, and it also has a faithful replica of Dickinson's desk. So that was really cool. There's also projections along the performance by Michael McKeon, and it has projections of the family members, like for context, because Cynthia, as Emily Dickinson, is narrating. It's talking to the audience. Like there's no fourth wall here. It's like a dialogue with us where she is telling us her family, where she lives, what they do, how each of them are, like her dad, her mom, her brother, her sister. And then time goes by and how they grow up and they didn't marry and the sister, well, the sister and her don't marry and they live together and the love of the sister for cats and all these things that inspire her to write. It's really cool because you dive into Emily Dickinson's world at that point and she is guiding you through it. And I think that's really cool. If you have Apple Plus, there's also a series on the poet and it's called Dickinson. It's cool. It's I think I think it's a super modern take. I like to compare formats like that when I'm seeing a show and if I have the opportunity to watch something else to kind of get more information on what I am seeing at the theater, I choose to do that and kind of like compare. Practically, again, with every show right now during COVID that there are no intermissions, having these types of plays that are like long, the Bell of Elmhurst is almost 90 minutes long. So because it's a one woman show, and even though Cynthia is great, it becomes a tad tedious 15, 20 minutes less could have made it better. That's just me. And I think it's more so the the thing that it's just a one actor piece. Go check it out for yourself. If you're able, let me know what you think. All these views are in our wonderful and amazing blog detailed with obviously creative teams and all that stuff at fromanotherzero.com. If you have not followed us on social media, please do so on Instagram and Facebook at fromanotherzero0 with number. And our YouTube channel hyperlinked in the episode notes here. If you follow us, you listen to our podcast regularly, and you like us, 
<laughs> and even if you don't, do us that favor and you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, please leave a five-star review. This helps us rank in those charts and feature in those charts and get to more people and help us out with our reach. So if you can do that, that would be great. And that is all for us here. There's going to be way more blog views up in our blog, and we're going to be talking about more shows. I'm heading over to the San Diego Repertory Theater in downtown San Diego, checking their season opener. And then the following weekend, I'm going to go to the San Diego Opera. I'm very excited about that, and I'm going to let you all know how that went and our thoughts. So until then, a kind reminder to support your local bloggers, your local artists, and your local podcasters. Catch up with our past episodes. The last one is a wonderful conversation with Valerie Salgado called Disability Thinking Twice. And the one before that is with Casa 0101, Chicanas, Cholas y Chisme. We had a bunch of fun with those wonderful ladies that do everything. They write, they act, they produce, they do everything. I am Alejandra Enciso Dardashti. Remember the here? We just don't start from zero. We start from another zero. Thank you for listening and catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.